0: Amen. Open up to Zechariah, chapter 5, welcoming all of our friends from SUM around the globe. Welcome, welcome. We're going to continue on in our Zechariah series. Remember, this was what came out of the fasting for me personally, was God gave me a book to preach out of. Uh, What a unique thing. Sometimes uh, God does certain things in fast, and and you can get in a habit of expecting those things, and then he'll just do something totally different. So I was not expecting going into the fast to hear a word about a book of the Bible I was supposed to preach out of. But that was one of the things God just spoke to me. And once again, I've told you this before, out of all the books to preach out of, Zechariah. You know, who would guess that book? You know, that would be like like if you closed your eyes and you had a table of contents and you just picked one or something. You know, uh, most of us probably haven't read through the book of Zechariah in a while. Maybe you did it on a Bible reading plan, but not very often do you just say, I'm going to wake up in the morning and read the book of Zechariah. If you do, that's awesome. Praise God. Now, we've learned, just to give you a summary, because we're just about halfway through the book uh, on Zechariah, there are 14 chapters, so just to give you a good summary, uh, chapter one, we learned about returning to God, and that returning to God is coming His ways, doing it His way following His commands. And we realized that the nation of Israel had turned its back on God as well as America has turned its back on God and the church in America as a whole has turned its uh, back on God. And we need to return through repentance and coming to Him. Uh, Chapter 2, what we learned was that God had a plan for us and the plan is through Jesus. And Jesus is the one who brings all of the nations to the Father And that God with us, Emmanuel, is in Jesus dwelling with us, dwelled with the people physically in body upon the earth, and then now through the Holy Spirit. And then going on to chapter 3, we learned that Jesus is also known as the branch. And that was important to know because we were going to be engrafted into him and then through him bear fruit for the Father's glory. And that's what we learned in chapter 3 is that Jesus is the branch. Chapter 2, God is uh, Jesus' is Emmanuel. And then last week, chapter 4, what we learned about was that Zerubbabel was giving, uh, was having a hard time building the temple And God sent Zechariah to encourage him that it would not be by might nor by power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. And that we learn that the time of small beginnings should not be despised, because out of those times comes great things. Excuse me, and I didn't have a chance to give you a whole bunch of illustrations on that outside of my personal life in the scripture, but just some other examples of that would be like a seed. It's a small beginning. You plant it in the ground, it comes up like a little sprout, a small beginning. Well that but that can become an oak tree. That can become an oak tree that will last hundreds of years. It can become many feet wide like the great oaks in uh, California that you can even drive cars under. And that all started off as a seed. And so that is where we get the illustration Jesus gives us that if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. So you shouldn't despise small beginnings and small things. Now, moving to chapter 5, the title of today's message is Do Not Lie. And do not swear deceitfully. So it's a little bit longer of a title. (coughs) Excuse me, but I want to fit in what the Scripture gives you as our titles every week. So do not lie and do not swear deceitfully. That is the message from this passage. I will be able to read the whole passage starting in chapter 5, verse 1. I looked again, and there before me was a flying scroll. Now let me just back up and say this. When I gave you the introduction about Zechariah... And I told you that it has, um, second to Isaiah, prophetic uh, words about Jesus. And I was telling you that Revelation pulls more from this book than the other book. I forgot to also tell you that Zechariah is the most symbolic and at times the most confusing book of the Old Testament. And that's not from my word. That's from scholars and commentaries. Uh, Some of it is, as you're going to see, given the interpretation exactly by God. God gives the interpretation. Other times, the interpretation is not 100% known, and it goes off into the seventh heaven, as you're going to see, flying scrolls and, and female angels and somebody in a basket. Okay, and so here's the thing. I want to give this to you as we get into the flying scroll thing here, is that when you're reading prophetic books... This is the rule that I want you guys to follow, and I believe it's a safe rule, and I was also taught it in Bible college. Number one, look for the immediate interpretation given by God. So before you start making up things of what you think the flying scroll is, excuse me, let the Bible speak for itself and tell you what it is. So we're going to look here and see if it tells us what it is. You understand? So number one, look in the prophecy itself and see if it's an answer to it. Number two... Look in that covenant and see if there's an answer in that covenant. If another prophet, if another situation comes up and they point to this. For example, everything that Jeremiah is saying, Daniel eventually reads and starts pointing back to his captivity in Babylon. Then the third thing is, see if it's fulfilled in the new covenant or brought up again in the new covenant. After you've gone through all of that, listen to me when you come up with an idea you have to say this is my idea because if it wasn't spoken plainly in the word of god in the context if it's not plainly mentioned in the covenant that it's in and if it doesn't get answered in the new covenant then when you look at this and you want to preach it to people make sure you let them know this is what i feel it is because i've heard too many preachers have these prophetic books they say i've had dreams and visions and i have the answer of what it is and then what they said it was never comes to pass and then it makes god's word look false and the people listening to you don't know the difference between what god said to you and what god has said in the text Do you understand So I just want to guard you in the prophetic books, especially as we begin to get further now into Zechariah, because as you are about ready to read right here, it's going to get way out there, okay? And so look for simple answers in the text, look for fulfillment in the... Covenant of itself, especially when it's in the old, and then see if it's also in the new. if it's not, and you want to go back and make doodddles and be led by the spirit and interpret the four-winged beasts and the wheel within a wheel and all of that, just say this is what I'm sensing, take it or leave it to your congregation because if you preach it as doctrine, that is where more heresy comes from is misinterpreting prophecies and prophetic words that's where more heresy comes from. You'll talk to a Mormon and he'll show you the Book of Mormon in a prophecy about the two sticks of Ezekiel. And you're like looking at that going, the two sticks, what are you talking about? The sticks mean the divided kingdom. No, but this stick means the Book of Mormon comes. And, and, and you understand, they take all of these symbolic things and they will apply it to themselves. Another example is the Roman Catholic Church says that the woman who has the 12 stars around her and all of that is the Virgin Mary. And that she, when she ascends from the earth to chase, being chased by the dragon, that's the holy assumption of the Virgin Mary. So they take this symbolic passage of a woman with 12 stars around her head. That's why if you see uh, the picture of Mary sometimes, she has the stars around her head and the moon at her feet because that's from Revelation. And they say when she goes up into the heavens from the earth in this, in this uh, you know, symbolic prophecy, that that's her ascending to heaven. So Mary never died. Mary ascended herself to heaven because she was sinless. And so you can just see how easily people can get off. Somebody say, Be careful. Okay, now chapter 5, verse 1. I looked again, and there before me was a flying scroll. He asked me, What do you see? I answered, I see a flying scroll, 30 feet long and 15 feet wide. He said to me, This is the curse that is going out over the whole land. For according to what it says on one side, every thief will be banished. According to what it says on the other, everyone who swears falsely will be banished. So hence the title, Do Not Steal and Do Not Lie. You guys get it? Okay. The Lord Almighty declares, I will send it out, and it will enter the house of the thief, and the house of him who swears falsely by my name. It will remain in that house and destroy it, both its timbers and its stones. So right here, uh, he sees a flying scroll. On it is written judgment for those who steal, those who are thieves. And so this whole side of the the, the the scroll has judgments to thieves. On the other side, it has judgments to those who lie and swear falsely. Okay, it's flying. He asks him what it is, and then the angel of the Lord tells him exactly what it is. He says, "This is now the judgment against those who have been stealing." And line. And I'm going to get into that in the context of the Jewish people and how that fits them. But that's simply the answer right there, okay? So we don't have to, like I said, now try to make up what we think the writings are. We don't have to try to be symbolic about the measurements. Once again, if you want to do that, that's up to you. But don't take it as doctrine. Do you understand? Because as I was looking at some commentaries, they were trying to make some assumptions about 30 feet, what that could represent, 15 feet, what that could represent. It just is what it is, and it plainly represents judgment. Everybody they say judgment now get ready for this interesting uh, vision he sees uh, chapter 5 verse 5 then the angel who was speaking to me came forward and said to me look up and see what this is that is appearing i asked what is it he replied it is a measuring basket and he added this is the iniquity of the people throughout the land then the cover of lead was raised and there in the basket sat a woman He said, This is wickedness. And he pushed her back into the basket and pushed the lead cover over its mouth. Then I looked up, and there before me were two women with the wind in their wings. They had wings like those of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between heaven and earth. Where are they taking the basket? I asked the angel who was speaking to me. He replied, To the country of Babylonia to build a house for it. When it is ready, the basket will be set there in place. So how many understand there he gets a little bit, you know, heavenly minded right there, right? But the simple interpretation to this is not given in exact words, but as studying the commentary and seeing how it plays out, this is what I believe the simple commentary is. That the woman inside the basket represents Israel. She is wickedness. She is in sin. The two storks possibly are the first representation we really see in the Bible of female angels. Most of the time they take the form of men. This time they take the form of women. They lift this basket up and put her into captivity. There she builds a house for herself. Israel dwells in captivity so a lot of times as you'll see in prophecy sometimes it goes backwards and shows things that have already happened in the past but it shows it in a heavenly perspective or other times it says things that are happening in the present are going to take a different form in the future and so basically what i believe this to mean as i'm prefacing i believe this to me not doctrine but i believe the best solution to this as studying the commentaries is that this is saying that the wickedness of Israel is going to dwell in Babylon and not everybody is going to come back to live in Jerusalem. And I know this to be confirmed as I've studied the text of uh, those returning back and the commentators of those times. They estimated only 10 to 20 percent of the Jewish people actually came back from Babylon to Jerusalem. A lot of times we think that everybody was marching back. All of the captives were coming back. But no, they probably went into captivity half a million to a million. And when they were coming back, they were only coming back in tens of thousands. Are you understanding? And so kind of what I believe this is doing is showing Zechariah a heavenly perspective that those who are still wicked in their heart, those who have lived here, are going to stay here for quite some time. Now, of course, Jeremiah said, live in Babylon and build houses, so necessarily it wasn't wrong to live in Babylon and build houses, because Jeremiah said, don't try to fight Babylon. Once the judgment comes, just go with it, don't resist, live in Babylon, and, you know, build houses and live there. But at this point, you can see now God is saying, those who continue to stay there are going to be like, shut up in this basket, they're going to be wicked, and they're not going to live right. And then that's where we get the idea of compromise, and the Jewish people, in intermingling among the other nations and losing their identity. So we're not going to talk about that today. What I do want to talk about is this passage in chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, where it talks about the judgment being a scroll upon those who steal and those who lie and it destroying their house. Now, why would this need to be said? Well, think about it. What brought the Jewish people into captivity to begin with? them breaking the commands of the Lord. And what was the rod of discipline, or rather what was captivity supposed to be to them, but a rod of discipline. And so what God is saying here, my judgments will destroy all of this in their lives. Now I want you to notice in history that what brought the Jewish people into uh, captivity was these two things right here. That They were thieves and liars. Now let me explain to you how you can reduce everything down to being a thief and a liar. First of all, if you say you're going to follow God's commands and you don't, what does that make you? So from that point on, every time they broke one of God's commands, what were they in God's eyes? Liars, because they had made a covenant previously with God at Mount Sinai through Moses that said, we will keep your commands. Are you remembering that? The covenant. And we're going to get back into the Deuteronomy covenant in just a moment. But that's where it all stems from. So they lied. They broke their word. And what was the thing that really stood out among their sin? It was their idolatry. And idolatry caused them to steal and to be a thief. And you might say, well, how do you steal? Well, guess what? When you steal the glory of God and give it to another, that's the ultimate thievery. You see, when Aaron was at the bottom of the mountain, he stole the glory of Yahweh, the unseen God, and he put it on a Golden calf, that's stealing, are you understanding, in the highest degree. It's one thing for me to steal from you, uh, you know, your car, or somebody to steal from you your jewelry. It's another thing to steal from God His glory. So everything came down to their relationship with God. They lied to God to His face. We'll follow your words and then turn their back on Him. Then they said, we will steal from you all your glory, all your fame, and we'll give it to the Baals, the Astropols, all of these pagan deities. Now I want you to turn with me in Deuteronomy to see how this came about. And there is redemption here because actually you want the house of the thief and the liar to be destroyed amen and so it's not a bad thing that that house gets destroyed now go to deuteronomy chapter 28 this is where god lays out the blessing and curses through moses and here's where they make a deuteronomy covenant which we now know as the covenant of moses if you believe in dispensations, you look at the Bible, there's different covenants. The covenant with Adam and Eve, the covenant with Noah, the covenant with Abraham, the covenant with Moses, and the covenant with Jesus, and the uh, covenant of the Father with the new Jerusalem. Okay? And so you can look at dis- <coughs> different dispensations as covenants, as some people do, and called covenant theology. Now, looking at Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1. God is saying through Moses, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all His commands I give you today, the Lord God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. And these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. Okay? So we see here that these blessings will happen. And part of the blessings that's going to happen to them is national security. They're not going to be invaded. They're not going to be conquered. They're going to live as a independent nation. Well, go to the curses now. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 15. <clears throat> Excuse me. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all His commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And what are the curses? That they will become a conquered nation, that they will go to fight their enemies and be dispersed seven different directions. Now, go over to chapter 29. And look at the renewal of the covenant. Here's where the people of Israel are going to commit to this. So to not keep it would be to swear falsely, to lie. Are you getting it? If they said to God at this time, God, we're going to do that, and they don't do that, then they swore deceitfully. Okay, you understand that, Davi? Swearing deceitfully is to give your word to do something and not do it. Now go to Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 1. These are the terms of the covenant the Lord commanded Moses to make with the Israelites and Moab in addition to the covenant he had made with them at Horeb. And then he goes and reviews the entire covenant with them and go all the way down to uh, chapter 30, verse 19. And here now is the people's choice to make. This day, chapter 30, verse 19 of Deuteronomy, this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life that your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. Look at that. The Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so what you see here is that the people are assembling together, hearing the word, and agreeing to do exactly what it says. Now go to chapter 31. Moses is fixing to leave. He's commanding them not to turn away. You know, Joshua's about ready to take his place. And then here you have, in verse 9, so Moses wrote down this law, gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant, and to all the elders of Israel. Then Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years and the years for canceling deaths during the Feast of Tabernacle, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place he chose, you shall read this law before them in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and children, the aliens living in your towns, so they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God, and follow carefully all the words of this law. Now, guess what happens? There's a prediction that they're going to rebel against the Word of God. This is the next following verses. Verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now the day of your death is near. Call Joshua, present yourself at the tent of meeting, where I will commission him. So Moses and Joshua went, presented themselves at the tent of meeting. Then the Lord appeared at the tent, a pillar of cloud, and the cloud stood over the entrance to the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, You're going to rest with your fathers, and these people will soon what? Come on, say it like you're up this morning. They will soon What? They will soon prostitute themselves to foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant. Break lie. They will break their word. They will break the covenant I made with them. On that day, I will become angry with them and forsake them. Oh, come on, somebody. Now go back to Zechariah chapter 5 and see if you can get some understanding here of what's going on. uh, Zechariah chapter 5 verse 3, He said to me, This is the curse that is going out over the whole land, for according to what it says on one side, every thief will be banished. According to what it says on the other, everyone who swears deceitfully will be banished. Are you understanding what's happening here? God is now saying... Those who have stolen my glory, given it to false gods, those who have lied and said that they would serve me and obey my covenant, those people will be destroyed. And in those 70 years of Babylonian captivity, it was just like the 40 years of the desert wandering. Those people in the 40 years who doubted died in the desert. Remember, out of the million that were possibly in the desert, only two went to the promised land, and that was Joshua and Caleb. Remember? And now he's saying after 70 years, 30 plus the 40 is now 70 years, so it's going to be a longer time of punishment and judgment. He says, I'm doing this for 70 years so that every thief and every liar will be judged. Amen? Now, if you remember in Deuteronomy, the command was that every seven years when people came together that they were supposed to read this law. Now, of course, we know that that was not going on during the time when the people were living in sin. The Bible actually says that the law got lost. But let's look at when Ezra comes back during the time of uh, Nehemiah. And Ezra building the temple and the wall. Remember, Ezra is emphasizing the building of the temple. <coughs> uh, Nehemiah, excuse me, is emphasizing the building of the wall. Zechariah is a peer to him. They get the opposition. Now go to uh, Ezra chapter 10. Ezra chapter 10. The people now are going to hear the law And now they're going to repent of their sins, and they're going to start to do what God said that they need to do. And those who don't, by the way, are in that basket in Babylon. Now do you get where it fits in? If I didn't say that, let me say this now. That's why he had to destroy the house of the thief and liar, because now... The right people are going to come back to Jerusalem. The wrong people are going to be kept in that basket in Babylon because he doesn't want the people who have the wrong heart to come back to Jerusalem and ruin it for the ones who are doing it right. That's why he's shutting them up in that basket and letting them still live in Babylon. And as a historical fact, the Jewish people from this point on never stole or lied concerning God from that point on. As you study uh, from this point on it comes into the Maccabean revolt and the start of the Pharisees You know where the Pharisees and the Maccabees came from they came from the heart of not wanting to be Culturized by the Greeks which were called the Hellenistic uh, culture. They did not want to become like the Greeks They didn't want anything to do with the Greeks. That's why they became so religious. They never worshiped another God again So when Jesus comes on the scene, you know basically about 400 years later now You know why the Pharisees are so strict in everything because at one time the Pharisees were at actually the good guys who were preserving Israel, saying, hey, we're not following the Greeks. We're not going to be like these people around us anymore. We're not going to steal God's glory, give it to another, and hey, we're not going to uh, uh, swear deceitfully and lie and break God's covenant anymore. That's why when Jesus come on, comes on the scene, it totally flipped their noggin, because now Jesus is claiming to be God, and that's so much blasphemy to to them. Do you understand? Because in their mind, they were preserving the Jewish faith. They were preserving observing what Judaism really was just a little history but go to Ezra chapter 10 and Ezra chapter 10 is now the confession of the people's sin who are coming back in the time of Nehemiah Remember they got discouraged. They weren't going to finish the temple Uh, Zechariah has to come and prophesy to them say hey man, don't give up. Come on Zerubbabel. You're the king Let's go forward Joshua. You're the high priest and he's right there with Ezra probably right next to him while these verses are being read in Ezra While Ezra was praying and confessing, weeping and throwing himself down before the house of God. That's how you repent. Amen. You pray, you confess, you weep, and you throw yourself down in God's house. Hallelujah. A large large crowd of Israelites, men, women, and children, gathered around him. They too wept bitterly. And it talks about them having a broken heart because they were marrying people of the other countries the people who were pagans and you can read about that in verse 9 now look at verse 3 now let us make a covenant before our god to send away all these women and their children in accordance with the counsel of my lord and of those who fear the commands of our god let it be done according to the law rise up this matter in your hands we will support you so take courage and do it so the people divorce the people that the women that they were married to excuse me even their children are commanded to leave And then you have here the reaffirming of the covenant. And then now go to Nehemiah, who's building the wall, the next book over. Nehemiah, who's building the wall. This is still fulfillment of that prophecy. Chapter 7, the exiles return. Now chapter 8, Nehemiah records what Ezra does. What does Ezra do? Ezra reads the law. Go to uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, so now everybody can move back. Why? Because they got a temple and they got walls around their city. Are you getting it? Now Ezra rises up. What does he do when they're all assembled? They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which had been commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest brought the law before the assembly which were made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men and others who could understand. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. See, he reads the book of the law again. So the house of the thief and the liar has been destroyed. And then in verse 5, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And he opened it and the people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And the people lifted up their hands and responded, Amen and Amen. What does that mean? So be it. Amen means right on. You know, it's like, we're going to do that. Okay? Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then in verse 8, then they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear, giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. You see, God was restoring His law to the people. Thieves and liars were going to be taken away. Now that was the introduction to the message. Amen? Because you're in Bible college, and I just can't hop, skip, and a jump through passages without you understanding what's going on. Now I want to talk to you about that. how this applies to us. Somebody go to First John, and somebody say, liar, liar, pants on fire. Come on, let's see how people lie today. Let's see how people lie on God today, somebody, because you're not in the Old Testament times with Ezra in the book of the law. You're with this Bible in the New Testament in the post-Christian society. And let's see what the Bible says. 1 John chapter 2. Come on. I'm going to give you the definition of liar found in the book of John. The first one, verse uh, 22 of chapter 2. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies uh, denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So what's the first thing that you learn? Is that anybody today who denies that Jesus is the Christ is a liar. And do you know that today in even modern Christianity, people are doing that? Listen to me, my friends. Harvard was started as a Christian Bible college to send out missionaries. I just met a Muslim who went there, got his degree in religion. How in the world can you go to a Bible college and come out and still be more of a Muslim? That would be like a hundred years from now, people going to SUM and being Muslims and leaving Muslims. God have mercy. These people are liars. Harvard has become a group of liars. I'm not saying there's not something good that they offer, or they don't tell the truth when they say 2 plus 2 equals 4, or there's not good people within the university that are trying to fight to bring it back. I'm saying as a whole, it is a liar. The organization... There are people today, the Catholic Pope, and I have the evidence of it, allowed all the religions and the ecumenical council to come in the Vatican and pray to their God, witch doctors prayed, Hindus prayed, people from animistic religions in the jungles of Africa prayed, and he said, we're all praying to the same God. How can you have the Son, or rather, how can you have the Father when you deny the Son? You see, you have to put the Son at His proper place. And you may be thinking to yourself right now, Well, Pastor, you know, I believe in Christ. How is this a warning to me? Let me tell you, your culture doesn't. And the people you're preaching to don't. And some of them even go to church. And when you meet them on the streets, they say, Oh, yeah, I go to this such and such church. And it could be Catholic, Baptist, Pentecostal, doesn't matter. And when you ask them, Is Jesus the Christ? They may say, oh, yeah, you know, whatever. And then you ask them very very specifically, this is what Christ means. He is the anointed one of God, God in the flesh, who was sent to die for your sins. And redemption is only through Him and through Him alone. And if you don't come to the Christ and bow at His feet and profess Him to be Lord to the glory of God the Father, you cannot be saved. Do you believe that? And most people today don't. Because they have fallen to the lies of the devil. And now they try to say, our God is like Allah. And our God is like Krishna. That is a lie. And those of you who are here Sunday, I read from the Quran and the scriptures that Allah says, our God and their God is not the same God. The Mormons want to say that we serve the same God. They are liars. They have been deceived by evil spirits. They believe that God had a sexual encounter with Mary. Do you believe that God made love to Mary, hence the virgin birth? Absolutely not. Our God is not a rapist, pedophile, adulterous God. Never settle for anything less. Now, somebody say, make it right. And make it tight. Come on, I'm going to bring it close to home. If you feel your feet tingling right now, it might be because we're going to step on some toes. Go to chapter 3. Go to chapter 3. Starting in verse, let's say, 21, chapter 3, verse 21. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive anything we ask. Because we obey His command. this pleases Him. And this is His command. To believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, to love one another. He commanded those who obey Him, live in Him, and He in them. This is how we know. He lives in us. By the Spirit He gave us. Now go to chapter 3 again. Verse 7. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. But he who does what is sinful is of the devil. But the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he's been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are. And who the children of the devil are. How do you know who the children of the devil are? By those who don't live according to God's Word. Go to chapter 5, or chapter 4 rather. Rather, go back to chapter 2. I got three lies to show you. Go back to chapter 2. I skipped this one. Forgive me. Chapter 2, verse 3. We know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. The man who says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands, is a what? A liar, and the truth is not in him. So if you're taking notes, the three liars of John is first the one who says, I keep his commands, but yet I don't. Or says, I love him, but yet does not keep his commands. The second liar is the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. The third liar, now go over to 1 John chapter 4. The first liar, the third liar rather, Lord have mercy on me. The third liar is verse 19. We love him because he has loved us. Anyone who says, I love God, yet hates his brother, is a what? Is a what? A liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So where are the three liars? Number one, you say you know God in this culture. People say they love God and they don't keep His commands. People in the church saying that they love Him. If they don't keep His commands, what are they, my friends? Liars. And let me tell you something about liars. Go to Revelations. Go to the book of Revelation. Chapter 18. Rather, chapter 21. Chapter 18 is something different. Go to chapter 21. But the cowardly, remember we talked about don't be a coward? Come on. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magical arts, the idolaters, and all what? Come on, and all what? And all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. See, I want you to check your heart right now. If you say you know God, are you living for God? Because if you say you know Him and you do not keep His commands, then you are a liar. The person out there on the streets who says they know God, you better test what they say by the commands of Jesus Christ. Well, nobody's perfect. He said, be ye perfect, for your Father is perfect. Sanctification is not an option. Sanctification is a command. Be ye sanctified. By the renewing of the Spirit. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This transformation, this sanctification is not an option. Be sanctified in your body, soul, and spirit, as it says in Thessalonians. You see, today, you have to live right when you confess Jesus Christ. You have to believe right and how you acknowledge who He is. And then number three, you have to treat people right. Because if you do not treat your brother or your sister right, and you say you love God, you are a liar. That's how when I talk to people that, that say, you know, well, slavery was in the South and Christians did all that, I tell them they were liars and they went right to the fire. There ain't no racists going to heaven, my friend. Are you listening to me? If there was some racists back then saying Jesus' named this and then whooping slaves, i know right where he went. He went right to hell, amen. I don't have to second guess it. The Bible says it, if you can't love your brother, if you cannot love the one you see, how can you not, how can you say you love the one you don't see? So judge yourself today. right now, how are you doing? Do not swear by what is false. And then now let me show you about taking God's glory and giving it to another, the ultimate thievery to steal God's glory and give it to another. Go to first Peter. So many I could share on this. I'm, I'm tempted to go to uh, to Timothy as well, but let's just go to First Peter. I'll see if I have time for Timothy. Lord help me. So you found the three lies of First John. Now I'm going to go to First Peter, the end of the book, chapter four. First Peter, chapter four. Go to verse twelve. Do not be, uh, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted, bless. uh, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or as a thief or any kind of criminal and even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name from the time of judgment, for it is time for judgment judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of our God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and of the sinner? So suffer according to God's will and commit yourselves then to the faithful creator and continue to do good. Let me tell you something, my brothers. You're going to suffer in this world for serving Christ. But do not suffer as a thief, stealing his glory from one to another. Because by you giving God glory, there will be a price to pay. And when you pay that price, giving God glory with your life, people are going to persecute you. I don't know if this is true, but I just heard this from somebody. I can't remember who it is. Maybe if you're here, you can tell me after class. But I was talking about how football players, when they use all that energy to make that touchdown, how some of them get on their knee, they do the sign of the cross, they point to heaven. Whether we agree with all of that, it's a way of acknowledging publicly they couldn't do it without God. Do you understand? Then somebody told me now that they're not even allowed to do that anymore. That's what somebody told me. I'm not sure on that, but that just sounds like the culture that we live in. They want the glory to go to the coach. They want the glory to go to the player. They want the glory to go to everybody else, but if you give the glory to God and give Him what He's due and don't steal from Him His glory, then people are going to persecute you. Hello, somebody. Somebody people can't even stand up. We know this for a fact. In the graduation of their high school, in their valedictorian speech, even if they are the valedictorian of their class, they cannot stand up in their speech and make their speech about God and how He influenced them to get the grades they got. Are you listening to me? Our governors, our people today that are in government can't even pray in the name of Jesus publicly without suffering ridicule you and I today when we give the glory to God we will suffer but give it to him anyway don't be a thief don't do what Aaron did and take the glory of God all that God has done and give it to another don't look at yourself and be the me myself and I generation and look at everything you have as a result of yourself always give it to God even if it causes you to suffer Come on, go. I got time. to Go to Timothy, cause I got to show it to you. Go to First Timothy chapter four. I got First Timothy chapter four, Second Timothy chapter three. Which one's going to help me out? Help me, Lord. I'll go to Second Timothy chapter three. This one's better. Both of them talk about falling away in the end times. Let me let me show you right here. Second uh, Timothy might say it a little bit more sterner. And I think it will show you how people trade the glory of God for something else. Second Timothy chapter three, verse one. But note, first Timothy four. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, forgiving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Now watch this right here. Here's the kicker. Here's the thievery right here, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. We're not talking about atheists on the street and Hitlers. We're talking about people who are going to be within the church looking like Christians, looking like believers, looking like they have a form of godliness, yet all this wickedness is going to be in their life. Why? Because they're going to trade. They're going to trade all that God has to give them and steal what God has already given them and take it for the devil's goods. They're going to take all this ability, all this anointing, all of this gifting, and they're going to go right up to the devil and say, let's make a trade. And they're going to steal everything from God. Your life is not your own. You are called to preach because God called you to preach. You are called to serve God because He's a King and worthy to be served, not because you feel like it. Now go back to 1 Timothy, and I'll show it to you one more time. 1 Timothy chapter 6, the love of money. Watch what happens. Love of money, chapter 6, verse 3. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree with sound teaching and instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ in the godly teaching, he is conceding, understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversy, quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, inconstant friction between men of corrupt minds. Listen, listen, listen. Who have what? Who have what? Who have robbed. Come on, somebody, help me preach. Who have robbed. Somebody say robbed. The true, robbed of the truth, and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Why are they robbed of the truth? You might say, well, Pastor, they've been robbed. Some- somebody robbed them. There's a problem. Well, who robbed them? Their own evil desires. Their own evil desires came into their life. They were serving God, but they turned to heresy. The Gnostics were turning Christians to their heresy back in that day and teaching men to go after gold, gals, and glory. The three G gold, gals, and glory. The Gnostics were saying you could have it all because whatever you do in your flesh doesn't uh, doesn't hit your spirit, man. They believed in dualism. And so people were turning towards Gnosticism. Are you listening to me? It was a popular heresy of that day. And what happened was when people began to give into the heresy, their own mind, their own heart began to desire riches and wanted to twist the doctrines of Jesus around to make it more popular so that people would follow them. And by doing that, what happened? They got robbed of the truth. But how did they let the thief in? They let the devil in through their own disobedient heart. I wish I had somebody to say amen. You see, today we learn from Zechariah that the house of the thief and the house of the liar will be destroyed. You learned how they were thieves and liars in the Old Testament. They made a covenant with God and they lied and did not keep him. They stole from God. His glory gave it to another and worshiped things made in the image of man. Romans 1. You then learn today how man is liars in this post-Christian age. Men are liars because they claim to know Christ but don't live right, First John says. That they deny Jesus is the Christ, and lastly, they don't love their brother as himself. And I wish I had a long time to talk about loving people the way Jesus told us to love them. And you found out how people are thieves because people won't give the glory to God and they give it to themselves. And even those of us who give the glory to God, we will suffer. So don't grow weary in doing good, people. Keep giving the glory to God. And then you've learned what people are robbed of. They're robbed of the truth. They steal the doctrines of God and they put them back into the devil's hands. They allow demons to lie to them. Why? Because they had evil desires to take what was God's and give it to another, whether it be themselves. Or to their own evil desires. Now in closing, let me tell you what you need to do. Amen? Stand with me and let's read Psalms 24. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us time to get into the Word and prayer today. Oh, praise God. If you love Jesus, say amen. Thank you, Lord. Look at Psalms chapter 24. Who may ascend? The hill of the Lord. Starting in verse 3. Who may stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. Lilani, Le- 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 would you come, please? Such is the generation of those who seek him. Who seek your face, O God of Jacob? Who may ascend the hill of the Lord, as David said? Who may be in his holy place? Those that have clean hands and pure heart. What do your hands represent? Your hands could be the hands of a thief doing the right thing. I happen to believe your hands represent your conscience. As Paul would say, I'm clean from the blood of all men. My hands are clean from the blood of all men. Ezekiel chapter 3 also gives that same impression. Your heart representing what you think about, what you admire, what you go after. It's pure. Lifting up your soul to an idol, that's obvious. You put nothing before God. You don't steal from God His glory and give it to another. Nobody else is worthy of God's praise except God. I was watching a concert the other day, and I was watching them all just raise their hands to the musicians. How many of us used to do that and didn't think anything of it? Didn't think anything of it. But Paul said, I wish that men would lift up holy hands in prayer. And do you know that that's where that always came from? This was always the sign of worship, friends. That coming into the rock and roll scene is just just modern. Modernism of old school idolatry. That's all you have to do is go to India and you'll see them raise their hands all the time they'll sit in the way of their hands like this worshipping their false gods and not swearing by what is false how does somebody here today not swear by what is false you make a commitment in your heart you're going to serve God no matter what that you're going to serve God and keep his commands even if it doesn't feel good. You might say, Pastor, well, what do I do when I break his commands? Well, first John tells you. You confess. You confess your sins. Do you know? Listen, listen, everybody get this. Do you know that repentance is also a command? So you have the command that says don't sin. But if you do sin, you have the command to repent. So how can you go wrong? How can you not live this christian life you have the command don't sin okay so i'm not going to sin i'm going to live a holy life today and let's say in your journey of living you stumble stumble in anger slander you stumble in greed something takes your heart and you love money you stumble in heresy you start to believe something that's not false and that's not true you stumble in bad attitude wrath dissension sedition you start arguing and fighting. You're in strife. Well, what do you do? You repent. Because the Bible says you can be forgiven. So listen to it again. Psalms 24. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? He that has clean hands. The pure heart does not lift up his soul to an idol, or swear by what is false, Now, what is the promise? It wasn't said in Zechariah, but we know what the promise is from David and all the covenants made before and especially in the law of Moses, that he will receive blessing from the Lord. It's now, what Deuteronomy chapter 32 says, when you follow God in His ways, you will be blessed. But look at this next thing right here. A lot of people don't catch this. It says you will receive vindication from God your Savior. What does vindication mean? Vindication means somebody defends you and says, you're right. Let me give you an example of how this works out today. God showed this to me. When I first got saved, like any man, I struggled with perversion in my mind, sexual impurity. So I made a covenant with God that I would not look at those things, that I would not act in a sinful way. Are you with me? I would not sin in sexual perversion, and so years go by, and I'm meeting friends that are in ministry, and yet they're still struggling with it. God told me not to judge them, but you know they're still struggling. And I began to think to myself about six, seven years into this. Before I met Nancy, when I got married, I had been saved for about eight, eight, nine years. So about seven years into it, before Nancy was ever on the scene, I began to say to myself, is this even worth it? I mean, here I have friends that are Christians. They're pastors. They're leaders. They're struggling in sin. And yet their ministries are fine. Why am I fighting against this temptation so hard? Why don't I just give in to it every now and then? and just say, I've done my best, just like everybody else is. Are you all with me? Somebody say vindication. But when I got married, I felt that day that I was going to be applauded by my friends because I waited until I was married. I became a born-again virgin. You all understand what I'm talking about. And when that day came, nobody patted me on the back. Nobody said, man, you made it. Good job, dude. I did not think you could go eight years without being sexually impure. Praise God, you made it. High five. Nobody, nobody said anything. And then there was a split moment on our honeymoon. Praise God for honeymoons. Amen. All the single people said, help me, Lord. Amen. Amen. <laughs> So there on my honeymoon, I'm thinking to myself, man, this wasn't even worth it. And nobody even knows what I did. I could have sinned all the time, made compromises, and it would have never really changed anything. You know what God said to me? God said, I know what you did, and it was for me. And I will vindicate you in heaven will vindicate what you did before those who did it you might say man that makes you look higher than him no let me tell you something i believe god wants holiness and i believe us christians we thieve and lie all the time to live in sin and we make compromises, and we try to compare ourselves with each other and we say no i'm not stealing nothing from god god told me to be holy but i'm gonna be on pure. And, and i'm not stealing holiness from him no, but you are Oh, I'm not lying to God. Oh, I said I would stop that, but I keep doing it on the side. No, I'm not a liar. I haven't sworn by what's false. My my hands might be a little dirty, but for the most part, they're clean. I can stand in God's presence. No, 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 no. It's only those who have clean hands and a pure heart. My friends, hate what God hates, Love what He loves. Don't let Him put you in a basket somewhere and say you're going to be there for a while, okay? Don't be that wickedness in a basket that gets shut up out of the Jerusalem, the Mount Zion of God. You don't want to miss Jerusalem, people. You see, because those who were shut up in that basket, they were left in Babylon. Babylon. It was the ones who said, I received the judgment. You destroyed the house of the liar. You destroyed the house of the thief. Now we're going back to Zion, baby. We're going back to the temple of God. And we're going to dwell in his holy place. We're going to be people with clean hands and pure hearts who don't lift up souls to idols, don't swear by what's false, and we're going to receive God's blessing on our lives. And He's got our back. And when no one else is looking, He's watching, and He's taking note, and He will say before you on that day, He will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. People will be there that have mocked you for not uh, for giving the glory to God. And God will vindicate you before them and say, look, this was my son. He did what was right. She was right. This is the truth. Y'all messed up. They did it right. I vindicate them. I long for that. Have you ever been wrong falsely? People said something about you that wasn't true and then the truth came out to light and it was kind of like that. And I knew I was right. I knew I was right. You ever felt that it's turned out a little bit?